0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Through Jesus podcast with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, Hope, Promises, and Faith, Numbers 13-1411, through read from the New King James Version. (music) Quickly before we get started, if you're new to Live Through Jesus, make sure that you go to livethroughjesus.com and sign up to receive your free five-week Bible study over Abraham. There you'll also find blog posts that coincide with the teachings on this podcast and social media links, which is another way to keep in touch throughout the week. Okay, let's get started. Do you have goals, things that you're working towards, things that you're pouring all your money and your time and your effort into? What happens whenever everything we do revolves around getting to this one specific place and then it all falls apart in the end? Maybe we're pouring everything we have into a business or a business plan that we really believe is going to take off. We think it's going to be great and everything we have is being poured into that. Or maybe you're in a situation where you need a solution and so your goal is to get wealth or feel better, find some sort of treatment or healing. Maybe your goal is to have a child, or kick an addiction, or maybe for a family member to finally overcome their addiction. If you're in this situation now where everything is being poured into this one outcome, think about how you would feel if you got all the way to the end of that and realized it's never going to happen. Maybe you've been in that situation. Maybe you've poured everything you have, all your heart and soul into something, trying to make it happen, hoping that it will happen, believing that it will happen, and then nothing. If you've ever been in that situation or you can imagine what that might feel like, then you can relate to what happens to the Israelites in this lesson today. So let me just tell you a little bit about what's been leading up to this just in case you either don't know the story or just as a refresher. God promised Abraham hundreds of years ago that his family would inherit a specific piece of land. God told Abraham, walk all through this land. Everything that you can see from the top of this mountain is going to belong to your family one day. At this time, Abraham is living in this land, but he owns nothing. And God even goes further, and he tells Abraham that he's going to be a great nation of people. At this moment, Abraham doesn't even have any children, and he's really too old. But God has promised him a child, and that his child will bear children, and so on, and so on. And he will become the father of a great nation. And as his descendants begin to grow, they're going to be held captive by another greater nation, But in the fourth generation of that captivity, God is going to set those people free. And when he does, he's going to bring them into this land that God is promising to give to Abraham's descendants at this moment. And this is what we call the promised land. And so all of these things have happened up to this point. Abraham did have a son. His son had son. His sons had sons and so on. And they became a great nation. This is called the nation of Israel. And these Israelites were in captivity to the Egyptians and God has freed them in what we call the Exodus. And when God took them out of Egypt, he brought them to Mount Sinai. There in Mount Sinai, God gave them the laws that their new nation would set up, how they would be enforced and what God expects of them. He also set up their church. The way that they would worship, basically the entire way that their government and their nation would be structured. God told them all this at Mount Sinai. And now about two years after they had escaped from Egypt, they're on the edge of the promised land. And so this generation of Israelites has been chosen to be the ones that go in and inherit this land that's been promised to Abraham's family for hundreds of years. They would have known this story. They would have known that the God of their father Abraham had promised him a land all these years ago and that they're the ones that are about to be entering this land and taking possession of it. This has been the goal all of these years since before these people were born, this was the goal of Abraham's family. Everything that has happened is leading up to this point. The fact that Abraham even had a son in his old age was leading to this point. How they ended up in Egypt was leading to this point. The fact that they became slaves there was leading up to this point. And then in these people's lifetime, the Exodus bringing them out of slavery for the express purpose of bringing them into this land. That is what is happening. And so this has been the goal for hundreds of years for this family, but it's been the express goal for these people since they've been born. This is what we were talking about before. If you can imagine being right there about to reach your goal, everything that you've done up to this point, all the work, all the hardship, all the time that you were doing without, just so you could have this one thing come about, that's what they're feeling. And so they're excited. They're thinking, you know, it's been hard We were in slavery. Then we were in the wilderness. We didn't have food. We didn't have water. We had to rely on God just to give us bread. But that's okay because we're about to enter a land that God said is luscious. It is filled with milk and honey, is what God says. It's a beautiful, fertile land, and it's all going to be theirs. And so everything that they have been lacking for all this time is about to come about Their freedom that they didn't have for their entire lives. They're about to be able to set up their own nation under God. Everything's going to be great. So this is what's been leading up to this moment. So just put yourself in those shoes. And then we're going to read Numbers 13 and see what happens to the Israelites from here. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses and said, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. And then it names all of the heads of the tribes. And so the tribes were the twelve sons of Jacob. Jacob was renamed Israel. So these are the 12 sons of Israel. Those are called tribes. And the head of each one of those families has been chosen to go into this land and check it out. And so we're going to skip down now to verse 17. And it says, Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up into the mountains and see what the land is like whether the people that dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether their land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rahab near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south, and they came to Hebron, Ahiman, Shashai, and Talmai. The descendants of Anak were living there. Now Hebron was built about seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Ishcol, and there they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and the figs, The place was called the Valley of Ishcol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and they came back to Moses and Aaron and all of the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Baran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us and it truly does flow with milk and honey and look at its fruit. Nevertheless, the people that dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses, and he said, Let's go up at once and take possession, for we're able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from giants. And we were as grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So what has happened is that Moses has sent these 12 men, one of them being Caleb, the one that just was trying to encourage them to go in. He sent these men into the land to check it out. It tells us that during this time was the season of the first grapes, which would have been mid to late July. And in the Valley of Ishcol, they found this huge cluster of grapes. It took two men to carry it. That's how fruitful this land was. Now... It also mentions the land of Hebron there. And this would have been significant to the people because this is where God made the promise to Abraham in the first place. And then it's also the land that Abraham and his family were buried in. So it explains they went through all this land. They saw the land where God made this promise to Abraham. They saw the place where they got these grapes and this luscious fruit. And they came back and they said, yeah, it's exactly as God said. God told us the complete truth. It's a beautiful, wonderful land. But, so here's the place, right? All that you've been waiting for, it's there. It's exactly what you've been wanting. It's exactly what you thought it was. It's right over there and you're about to get it. But, the people that live there are big and strong and the cities are large, and they're fortified with walls. Not only are the people there big and strong, but many of them are giants. If you know the story of David and Goliath, Goliath was a descendant of Anak, and he was over nine feet tall. So this is the type of people that live there. So they're telling him this story, and Caleb, one of the spies, he says, all right, well, the land is great. God's promised it to us. Let's go. And then the rest of them are like, no, 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 you don't seem to understand. We can't. If we continue forward and we try to fight these people, they're going to kill us. And so the people are listening to this and feeling what? Let's read the first four verses of Numbers 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, If only we died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to just return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's select another leader, someone that will take us to Egypt. So this is their response. Natural response initially, right? Crying, sad, it's exactly what we would feel like. Our entire lives have been leading up to this point. Everything we've done has been bringing us to this place. We can see the spot. It's exactly what we've been wanting, everything we've dreamed of, and yet we can't have it. That's what they're being told. We can't have it. So they're sad, heartbroken. But then how do they react to their dreams being crushed? That's the question. Or supposedly being crushed they start complaining to the person that's brought them to this place. They're like, why did we ever even start this journey if we're not going to make it to the end, right? We would feel like that. Everything we've worked for is gone. What was the point? And so then they're like, I wish we'd have just stayed in Egypt and died there. Or maybe it'd have even been better for us to die in the wilderness. At least that would be better than being killed. Why would God bring us to this land just to be killed? And they seem to be asking that as if that is what God was doing. But my question would be, yeah, why would he? Why would he rescue you from Egypt? Why would he kill all the Egyptian army in the Red Sea? Why would he tell you how to set your government up whenever you get to this land just for you to be killed? It doesn't make any sense, right? Why did they get all the way to that place if God wasn't intending for them to take it as he had said? And so they want to go back to Egypt, which how do they think it's going to turn out for them there, right? I mean, it's not going to be any better, but they're just, they're beside themselves, which we all do get. If you have ever poured everything you have, your heart and soul into something, and then it looks as if it's falling apart, we don't always react well initially. And our thought process isn't quite rational because initially you just feel defeated You feel like, what was the point? Why did we do all this if none of this work was going to pay off? It seems like it's all been a waste. So all of these are natural feelings, but we have to, at some point, stop feeling defeated and think rationally. What do we do now? How do we proceed? I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going. Maybe this isn't going to happen the way that I anticipated, but I'm going to keep going, right? And so instead of letting that question sink in, you know, after they said it, why would God bring us all the way to this place in order for us to just be killed there? After that came out of their mouths, they should have been like, yeah, why would he? He wouldn't do that. That isn't a thing. So what am I missing? But instead, they let their circumstances make them doubt God. They gave up hope. They felt like all of their hope had been taken away, but they gave it up they're thinking to themselves, maybe it'd be better to have never hoped at all than to have this hope just stripped away from us. That's what they were saying. It would have been better to just stay in Egypt as slaves. At least we wouldn't have gotten our hopes up, right? And we all feel like that sometimes. And sometimes we allow ourselves to stop hoping, stop dreaming, stop taking risks just to protect ourselves from that feeling. And that's what they're thinking. Man, I wish we would have never even gotten to this place. But they were forgetting who made them the promise. Who told them that this was going to happen? And was this person able to bring about what he said that he would? God knew the battle they were going to face. He knew what the people looked like. He knew how big they were. He knew how many there were. He knew what their cities looked like. And he still said that they would inherit the land. The victory for them had already been declared. So, do they trust him in that? Or do they not? What about us? Do we trust that God can do things that don't make any sense? Listen to what it says about Abraham in Romans 4. If they would have been like their father Abraham, they would have been in good shape right now. So this is Romans four sixteen to 22 Therefore, it is of faith that we might be, according to grace, So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you father of many nations. So they needed to have the faith of their father, Abraham. And this is the faith that he had. In the presence of him whom he believed, this is the one he believed in, God, who gives life to the dead, and calls those things which don't exist as though they did. So that's the God that he believed in. And Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in the faith, he didn't consider his own body already dead since he was about a 100 years old, whenever he finally had his son, or the deadness of his wife's womb because she was 90 years old. He didn't waver at the promise that God had given him through unbelief, but he was strengthened in his faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to perform what he had promised to Abraham. Therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. God said, you are righteous for your belief in me. Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to perform what he had promised. And so if these people would have been like that, fully convinced that God was able to do anything because he is the God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which don't exist as though they did. That's the kind of God that we can believe in. Not looking at the circumstances and saying, Yeah, I'm a 100 years old. My wife is 90. There's no way we're having any kids. Abraham could have been like that. But he said, no, I'm not going to doubt what God says. He said that that can happen. And so I'm going to believe him. So this is the faith that they should have had. And it's the faith that we should have. Let me read you the promise that God gave to Abraham. They would have known this. They should have known this. This is Genesis 15, 7 to 21. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. That's what God said to Abraham. And then Abraham said, Lord God, how do I know that I'm going to inherit it? So basically he's like, do you promise? Is this for certain? And this is what God says. Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And so Abraham brought these things to him and cut them in two and placed each piece on opposite sides of each other. And when the vultures came, Abram drove them away. And when the sun went down, a deep sleep fell on Abram and horror and great darkness fell upon him. And then God came to him in this dream. And this is what God says to him. Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs and they'll serve those people and they'll be afflicted for four hundred years. Also the nation whom they serve I will judge, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And so it came to pass when the sun went down, and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between the pieces of the animals. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I've given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. You're going to get all of their land. Now, this is a strange thing to us, but before we talk about why in the world Abram killed all these animals and separated their pieces and all of that, listen to what God told Abram was going to happen. He said, your descendants are going to be strangers in a land that isn't theirs, and they're going to be afflicted for 400 years, but then I will judge that nation and I will bring them out of that place with great possessions. This has happened. The people know this story and they've been the ones that this has happened to. So would that not at least just give you a bit of, okay, he made all the other things come true, so why wouldn't I trust him now? It's the same with us. If God's ever done anything for you, and if you've ever been in the midst of that and thought, I can't see any way for everything to work out and then it does, and then God comes through for you in some way, then you've seen what he can do. And so that should help you to trust in him. But if that didn't make them trust in him, the way that God made this promise to Abraham should have, because they understood what these pieces of the animal meant. Whenever two parties back then would make some sort of binding agreement, Instead of just signing a piece of paper and saying, you know, I promise to do my part and you promise to do your part. And a lot of times in a contract, it'll say, if I break my promise, then this is what will happen. You know, I have to pay you a certain amount of money or whatever. Well, in this situation, the people wouldn't sign a piece of paper. They would sacrifice these animals. They would separate them into two parts and then both parties would walk through these dead animals, making this promise to one another. I promise to do this. I promise to do this. And then looking at these animals and as they walk through, they're showing that if they break their promise, they'll be just like these animals. Basically saying, if I break my promise, I deserve the same faith that these animals faced, which is death. Well, normally both parties pass through this. But in this dream that happened with Moses, God only passed through the pieces of the animals. That was the burning torch. When the burning torch passed through, that was God, His glory passing through these animals. And He's saying, there are no conditions of this promise for you. The conditions are only for me. I promise you, no matter what you do, what your family does, I will bring your family into this land. And if I break my promise, I'm deserving of death. So the people know that God has made Abraham this solemn promise. And you don't make a promise like that unless you think you can fulfill it, right? And then all of the things that God told Abram were going to happen happened. And so they should have trusted in that. But right now they're in despair. They can't see anything else. And so they're thinking it had been better to have never hoped at all than to hope and have it all stripped away. Okay, so natural reaction. They should have been a little more rational, but it's okay because two of the spies still believe in it. One being Caleb that we already heard of, and the other one is going to be Joshua. Now, Joshua is Moses' protege. He's being groomed for leadership. Once Moses dies, the plan is for Joshua to take over. Now, his given name was Hosea, and this name means desire for salvation. Remember, his parents were living in Egypt at the time of his birth, and they desired salvation. And so he was given that name of, God, we want you to save us. And so this is who Joshua is. He is the man that desires salvation. But Moses didn't call him Hosea, the man that desires salvation. Moses called him Joshua, which means the Lord saves. So Moses changed his name to direct him to the provider of what he was seeking. You desire salvation, God is the one that saves. He's the one that can give that to you. So this is all important because Joshua has a goal, right? Everything that his whole life has been made up for is for salvation. And Moses is saying, the Lord's going to give that to you. So he's the culmination of hope. Joshua's whole entire life has been hoping in this one thing. And Moses is telling him, you're going to get it. God is going to give you this. And so... Joshua doesn't have much of a choice but to believe in this because it's his complete identity, right? So let's read in Numbers 14, 5 to 11 and see how Joshua and Caleb try to encourage the people. At this point, the people aren't thinking clearly, but Joshua and Caleb are going to help them. They're going to remind them of all the things that they need to know while they're in this state of despair. Beginning in verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and they said, The land that we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he'll bring us into this land, and he'll give it to us, a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against the Lord or fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them and the Lord's with us. Don't fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before the children of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long are these people going to reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs that I've performed for them? So Joshua and Caleb said, hey. God told us that this was going to be a land flowing with milk and honey, an exceedingly good land. And it is. Everything God's told us up to this point has been true. So don't rebel against him. Don't fear the people. He said their protection has been removed from them and God's with us now. And so he says they're our bread. We're going to devour them. There's no reason to fear. God knew all of this and everything that God said up to this point, He's never lied to you. And not only has He not ever lied to you, but He's proven that He has the power to fulfill everything that He told you He would do. So He's with us. We have no reason to be afraid. He's going to bring us this victory. Don't worry. What they were trying to tell him is instead of focusing on yourself and your limitations, Focus on God who has no limitations. He isn't bound by the ways of this earth because he created those things. He also created us with our weaknesses and them with their strengths, but he has power over it all. He can give of us his power and he can remove the protection from those other people. He has power over all created things and all circumstances. So he's trying to take the focus off of the weaknesses of the Israelites and off of the strengths of these other nations and put all the focus on God. And that's what we have to do too. Stop looking at the circumstances. Stop looking at how this can't work. It's not possible. I should just never hope, never dream, never take risks again because it's pointless. I'd rather just live in this state that isn't so great as opposed to thinking that it could get better and have all my dreams crushed. God wants us to take a step back from that. Stop looking at our circumstances. Stop looking at all of the obstacles in our way and how strong they are. And stop looking at how weak we are and how unable we are to bring about the thing that we want. How unable other people are to help us with what we want. And look to Him. He's the only one that can do it. No one else can do it. Not us, not our family, not our friends, no doctor, no counselor, no rehab, no fertility clinics, no one can do what God can do. They all have their limitations, right? A doctor can help us, but he's limited. Counselors can try, but they're not assured success in your life. All the money in the world can't buy you what you are seeking if God's not in it. No amount of hard work, no amount of talent. If those are the things we're hoping in, then our hope has been misplaced. And that's what Caleb and Joshua are telling the Israelites. Your hope has been misplaced. You were looking at yourselves and thinking that you were going to be able to bring this about. And now you see these people and that they're stronger than you. And you're thinking there's no way. But the reason you feel like that is because you're putting your hope in the wrong place. You're putting your hope in yourself and in your circumstances. And now that you see you're weak and your circumstances don't look so great, now you've lost hope. But it shouldn't be that way. If you're hoping in God, then you can have hope again. But only in Him. Your hope is useless if it's in yourself. But if it's in God, then your hope has not been stripped away. Your dreams are not crushed. So I want to read you several verses. I want us all to understand the power of God and be able to look to these verses and say to ourselves, okay, this is the kind of God that I serve. He's the one I'm going to focus on. And if we read these verses, we can take ourselves out of our situation and place our focus on God. So the first one is Psalm 118, 6 to 9. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put my confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put my confidence in princes. Did you catch that one part where he says, The Lord is for me among those who help me. If God is among the people that are helping you, then you're good. Because God has got power over everybody else. So the rest of the people don't really matter. It's better to put our trust in the Lord than to be confident in any man, in any government. Now listen to how God is described in Isaiah forty twenty two to 31. It says, It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing, and He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth. When he will also blow on them and they will wither and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their hosts by the number and calls them by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. So why do you say, O Jacob, or speak, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by God? Haven't you known? Haven't you heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, never faints or is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those that have no might, He increases their strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So, this is the God that we serve, the one that sits above the circle of the earth and we look like grasshoppers, the one that stretches out the sky like a tent over us. It says he makes the princes nothing and he makes the judges useless. It doesn't matter what people do if God's not in it. Then he says, Who's comparable to me? No one. So, why aren't you looking to people? They're nothing like me. I made the stars and I know all their names and not one of them is missing because I am keeping them in their place. So why in the world would you say that I don't know what's going on with you, that you have this just claim that you've presented me with and I've just passed it over? I don't care. How can you say that about an eternal God that created everything, that knows all things and that never gets tired? has all the power in the world, and he can give that power to you. Even young people get tired, but the people that wait on God, the people that rely on him for their strength, they make it through. Why in the world do you not trust in a God like that, knowing that he's creator of the ends of the earth? Listen to what it says in Proverbs 21, 30 to 31. There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. So what it's saying is all the wisdom, all the understanding, all the counsel in the world can't do anything if God's not in it. If he's against your wisdom, then you're wrong and it's not going to stand up and you can prepare your army all day long. You can know the battle you're about to face and you can be ready for it. But God's the only one that can bring full deliverance. He's the only one that can bring victory. He's the only one powerful enough to do that for us. And so it doesn't really matter all of our plans if God's not in it. But if God is in it, then it also doesn't matter if we're not wise, if we're not understanding, if our plans were dumb, if our army is weak. See, that's the flip side of it. And these people know that God is with them. And so this should have been great to them. All of this encouragement should have been wonderful to them. All this encouragement should be wonderful to us. It should help us take the focus off of ourselves, off of our circumstances, off of the other people, and place it on a God who is able. Unfortunately, it did not do that for the Israelites. (laughs) They wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb. And so God had to intervene and stop their schemes from becoming reality. But then the last part, this is the last little lesson we're going to get today. The last part, God says to Moses, how many miracles do the people have to see me perform before they're going to trust me? And so that's the question for us today. Are you able to look beyond the limits of this world to the unlimited power of God? Can you say what that Romans verse said? I'm fully convinced that he is able to perform all that he chooses to perform towards me. Now, we don't have these specific types of promises like Abraham did. We aren't promised a specific outcome for our circumstances in this way. We're promised salvation, but for our souls. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that God, you know, has made this promise to you that he's going to make your dreams come true or your goals happen. But I can tell you that he can and that even if what you want to happen doesn't happen, it's because a perfect, all-knowing, loving, caring God doesn't want it to happen for some reason because he's able to bring it about if he wants it to happen. And so even though we logically think that that's what we want to happen, we don't. If God doesn't want it, because he's smarter than us. He knows things that we don't. He sees things that we don't. And so we want what God wants. We want to be on his side. We want him on our side. And if he is on our side, if he is for us, if he's fighting for us, then we know that whatever battle he wins for us is the battle that we want won. Right? And we can always hope in him knowing and believing that he can perform anything. And so even if what we're asking for isn't coming true right now, we know that it can. And we know that he can bring about the outcome that he wants regardless. And so the question to us today is, has God ever done anything that went beyond the natural order of this world and proved himself to you just as he had to the Israelites? if you've seen the power of God, you know what he can do, then how many miracles does he have to perform before you trust him? He's asking the same question to us today as he was asking to the Israelites all those years ago. How many miracles do I have to perform for you before you trust me? How many miracles do I have to do for other people that you see, that you know is me before you trust me? How many times do I have to prove my power and my love towards you before you trust me with your life? Before you say, God, I know you've got this. I know that you're working in this situation for me, that you're taking care of me, and I trust you. How far does God have to carry you in this journey, in this life, before you believe in him? Not, I believe you exist. I believe you created the world. I believe your son died on the cross for my sins. No, believing all that, And that he has the power to take care of you, to work in your life, to bring about the things that are best for you, that are best for his kingdom, believing that. Okay, so I'm going to end with several verses in the Bible. I just, I want to drive this home that we can trust him. So Psalm 27, 13 and 14. I would have lost heart unless I'd believed. That I would see the goodness of God in this land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait on the Lord. If you don't see something happening right now, believe that he is able. Wait on him. Let him give you strength. Now I'm going to read all of Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with a heart. Make melody to Him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Basically saying, praise God and here's why. For the word of the Lord is right, and all His work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of His mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap and he lays the deep in storehouses. Beautiful imagery, right, of how God made the earth. So let the earth fear the Lord. Let all its inhabitants stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord, however, stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people he's chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven and he sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth and he fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man isn't delivered by his great strength. A horse is vain hope for safety. Never shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in the famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He's our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we've trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be on us just as we hope in you. He says, nobody else can do the things that I can do. So place yourself under me. Let me be in charge of your life. And then you have reason to hope. Now, I want you to see that not only does God have power, but he cares about us. And so this is Psalm 44 and 5. And it says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and doesn't respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts towards us can't be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they're more than can be numbered. So he says, God is thinking about you continuously. He cares about you that much. You can't even count all of the ways that he loves you, all of the things that he thinks about you, all of the reasons that he cares for you. And so... The man that places his trust in the Lord is blessed. So if we place our trust in God, he will bless us. His power will work for us. He is taking care of us. So that's what I want to leave you with today. Taking all your focus off of yourself, all your focus off of your circumstances, all your focus off of the other people in this world, and placing your focus on God who has power, who has love, who is wise, able to bring about all the goodness of this earth for each of his children. Next week, we will see what God's response is to these people who are rebelling against him. And so this week, work on every time that you begin to think of yourself or the circumstances, your limitations, the obstacles in your way, place your faith in God, trust him. Because we do not want to be in the situation that these Israelites find themselves in now where they have rebelled against God. They're not following what He says because they don't trust Him. This is a situation we don't want to be in. So don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Leave me a five-star review and comments wherever you're listening. You can also find my email at livethroughjesus.com. And don't forget to sign up for your weekly email updates and follow me on all social media at Live Through Jesus. Thanks and have a good day.